Rick, we got a great guest coming up. Yeah. Uh, have we had any presidential candidates on the show before? I Former presidential was candidates. Was Dobie a uh, candidate? <laughs> the no. San Diego chicken, I no, believe. I, I don't back think in. we have had one on. No. Well, we've got Fred Carger. Yeah. And Fred Carger it was the first openly gay presidential candidate in 2012 right uh but he's got some other great stories we yes. think because yes. uh, we've been doing a lot of research on him and we're going to ask him things far more than just president yeah again we're not political it's and, really uh, not going to be a political conversation uh, you'll well i don't even want to tell you what the, the we're just teasing right, right now but when you tune in, you'll enjoy it. A Minutia Man Celebrity Interview is up next. But first, listen to this other fine old pie show. All right, Adam, what uh, country are you from? I am from England. What is the best soccer league in the entire world? The English Premier League. What is your day job? Director of coaching for Illinois Youth Soccer. So if you were, say, a fan of English Premier League and you wanted to hear the, the opinions of someone who is from England, who knows a lot of soccer, what podcast would you tell people they need to listen to? Free Kicks with Adam and Rick. And that's on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Free Kicks, a Tony Lasano podcast, an Opai show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. Okay, Dave, again, we've uh, we found someone who is uh, smarter and cooler than us. Uh, we're talking about Fred Carger, who's an <laughs> activist. He's an author, a columnist, a political consultant, a former actor, the first openly gay major party candidate to run for president in the history of the United States when he ran in the 2020 GOP primaries. 12, 2012. 2012, right. thank you. I can't read. <laughs> um, plus, and this is probably the most impressive thing, he's also considered the world's best party crasher. <laughs> Welcome, Fred. We're happy to have you. And we have to start with the party crasher thing because you are <laughs> a legend. You've crashed political conventions, Oscar parties. In fact, you even found your way on stage twice uh, during the Academy Awards. Which is amazing. Tell us, tell us the Charlie <laughs> Chaplin story. All right. Well, good. Then thank you both for having me on. Sure. I feel like I'm back in Chicago. Yeah, and, this is your hometown. As, this is where I grew up, and my accent is already creeping back. Just, you know, <laughs> in the minute we've been talking. Hey, happy to have you, Doc. Yeah, there's <laughs> decent yeah. podcast. That flat A. Yeah. I had to go dialect lessons when I moved here. You know, you never think you have an accent when you're from Chicago. You think. You, speak perfectly but it ain't so yeah no that's um, so true but yeah i started my crashing career in uh, my early days in chicago and then i kicked it up a notch when i um, was a senior in college at university of denver and a friend and i came out to california to try and get some celebrities for a charity event we were doing in denver and uh turned out to be during spring break and the academy awards were going on so i kind of fudged a letter from nbc an nbc executive um, so when you say fudge, that, no, fudge <laughs> means basically fraud. Is that yeah. what we're saying? I know. Uh, just, you know, a, a little... Uh, Borrowed so, his name uh, and, and likeness. And letterhead. Yeah. And letterhead. And, and, and introduced my friend and I as you know, nephews of David Sarnoff, who was the head NBC at the time. So we got credentialed I, instantly, and we got to go to the rehearsals of the Oscars, and then we got to go to Oscar night. 
um, managed to secure a couple tickets for that too. And we're I know, 22 years old, seniors in college. And then it turns out these badges that we'd gotten for the rehearsals were all clear. They're white badges. And it was the year Charlie Chaplin was being honored after having been exiled uh, from the US. So it was a huge deal, this giant star coming back. And we found out these white badges would good, were good anywhere backstage, which was better than our second balcony seats. Oh my so I take full responsibility. But at the end of the show, they said, all award winners and presenters, please go to the stage and greet Chaplin. And I looked at my friend. He just shook his head no. And I just grabbed him. We ran out there. And I, I know where to position myself. So I stood. They had risers getting ready to introduce Chaplin, they had risers behind him facing the audience of this packed Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. And I positioned myself next to another new Trier alumni, which is where I'd gone to high school, Ann Margaret. Oh. And I was next to her. who was In the new Trier section. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, yeah. <laughs> Charlton <laughs> Heston was there too? <laughs> Not that night, okay. I don't think, but yeah. the next year. Right. Uh, and so it was uh, a good place to be chaplain gets introduced and the whole dorothy Chandler pavilion rises and starts screaming and i think it's probably the most famous moment in oscar history in a lot of books it's described that way and it was about a three minute standing ovation for him and of course i'm standing there looking at all this and it starts to go to your head <laughs> that quickly like is this for me thank you thank you <laughs> i did bow my head slightly a few times but we we then started to go down, everybody, and this was all unrehearsed. This was, I think, the first year they ever ended the Oscars before and since without the Best Picture nomination or winners. So this was, uh, you know, unprecedented. So everybody went down on stage to greet Chaplin, and Anne Margaret looks around. People are peering off, and so she just grabs my right arm, and and, and I couldn't believe it. And then I, of course, played the new Trier card. We're walking down towards Chaplin. I pushed our way right to. Uh, you know, front and center. So when he turned around, we both got to greet him. Um, and then it was a pretty magical moment. And I was still in college and a lot of people saw that. So when I went back to school, many people had seen that. Now everybody watches the Oscars. Hey, uh, particularly listen, that. Fred, uh, were you at the Oscars <laughs> by any chance? Is that you, a lookalike, you and Todd? So yeah, that was a pretty magical moment. And then you know, that was tough, but the, the after parties, the most fun. And in those days, they used to do it at the Beverly Hilton, and everybody went. There was no Vanity Fair party or Spago party. They'd all go there. So it was very fun, managed to get in there, and, and then really just started taking my crashing to a new level. And um, and that was my warm-up act. Well, and wow, and you're and you're starting with the Super Bowl, basically. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. you know, well, crazy. how do you how do you follow that up? But you <laughs> mentioned you mentioned the vanity uh, the Vanity Fair Oscar party. You actually crashed a few years later. I don't know how many years later. You know, no, in 2006. So this is quite a few years later. You crashed the Vanity Fair Oscar party, and I, and from what I understand, you actually had props. Did you have a like a fake statue? Tell us this story. <laughs> Because we love the commitment to the shtick here. Yeah, this is awesome. Absolutely. And, and I pride myself, you know, and I was named actually the world's greatest right. crasher about yeah. five years ago by the, uh, it's called The Richest, which is a pretty prominent Canadian lifestyle blog. Uh, they had the top 15 crashers. The Salahis, who were number 15, were the ones that crashed the White House right. State Dinner. And then I went through all the other 14 and then me, or 13, and then I was number one. But yeah, the, um, when I retired in 2004, I'm now what? So, you know, everybody, you got to write a book when you retire. Sure. So I thought, all right, my crashing, 
uh, is probably a little bit interesting. So I, I had one elusive crash, crash, and that was the Vanity Fair Oscar party. And this is again, what, 16 years ago. It was still, it was the biggest deal by far and a coveted invitation. And I figured I better go to try it. When I had, um, you know, my Oscar history, I bought a fake Oscar statue at a trophy store. Who doesn't have a fake, a fake Oscar? So I was there picking up a plaque or something for a client. And then I, I said, well, that's, he said, yeah, it's made by the exact same place in Rockford, Illinois, that makes the real Oscars. It's just tweaked slightly. So I bought it. It was a little bit of a, an expensive thing, but I'd always have Oscar parties. I'd use it. And I, and I always wondered, could I get into the Vandy Fair party brandishing this fake Oscar? So in anticipation of writing this book, I figured I better do it, give it a try. So I, I stayed home. It was premeditated. I had a ballot um, and I marked down everybody name and then i watched the show by myself for the first time and uh figured out who i would impersonate and there was a guy named uh, richard taylor who won for visual effects <laughs> part of a team of four uh for king kong and he had glasses and a little gray hair and you know a little similar so i also had a, a friend by that same name so it was easy to remember and i went down there in my tux dressing in the mirror kind of like a starter movie and and walked down there, and while I was kind of pacing the street, figuring out how I was going to get in there, these four kids come up, all dressed up, three girls and a guy, and said, where are you going? I said, the Vandy Fair Party, where are you going? We're going there, too. And I said, do you have tickets? And they said, no, do you? <laughs> I said, no, but I pulled out this paper bag, my fake Oscar. And before I knew it, this one of the guy in the group lifts the police tape, where there's uh, sheriffs everywhere, and walks out there. So I followed him. I said, that's not a good idea. And then, bam, you know, what can I do? What can I help you? And I said, yeah, I, I won an Oscar tonight. I was told I could come to the Vanity Fair. Oh, what's your name? Richard Taylor for King Kong. Wait right here. And before you know it, the five of us, five of us are being ushered into the party <laughs> by a bank of a bank of paparazzi that just had that like who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> Look, i don't think they took one picture but i had a girl on each arm and then this couple behind i just we went in and then we split up because they pulled their camera out and started uh taking pictures yeah. which is not not a good thing to do so anyway i i met them all i i got to hold the best oscar um award because a friend of mine was the pr person for the the winner and i got some great pictures bought lauren bacall a drink who had been very drunk that night on the show wow told her so it was a pretty fun night and then in keeping with my strategy to try and you know legitimize this i took a few pictures because you know who's going to believe this and i went uh to Catherine Keener, who had been nominated for Best Supporting Actress that year and, and uh, had lost. They were chatting, and all of a sudden I said, can I get a picture? Sure. I pulled my camera, and it's four cell phone cameras, out of my jacket. And so in the process, my fake Oscar dropped to the ground, just crashed, and this exactly, everybody let out this gasp, <laughs> like the four people around her. And I just scooped it up and I said, they make these things well. And then everybody left. I never got my picture with her. And this woman who stayed said, uh, I want to ask you something. Could I use this in my story? And I said, oh, who are you writing for? She said, the L.A. Times. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Being an old PR guy, I knew to, to not let that slip by. So I said, hey, I got an even better story for you. So in her recap of the, the party of the Oscars, the Vanity Fair party, she said, I think it was Headlines, speaking of inappropriate, <laughs> and 
<laughs> Rudy likes to take their shots. I, I get it. Um, and she detailed the whole Oscar crash. Wow. And they, she referred wow. to it as a slightly subsized Oscar. And again, it wasn't necessarily just to get the attention, but I got to prove that I was there. And um, and that certainly did it. And, and a lot of other great pictures. So I'm writing a book now. It's it's almost done. I'd hold it up if this were video. Mm -hmm. It's uh, I, I'm writing it with a fellow Chicagoan. Um, a guy named Sam Eichner from Highland Park, and it's it's done, and it'll be, hopefully, we'll be on a book tour uh, next year, and definitely come to Chicago and go to the, no, the old Chestnut was... Court bookstore and stuff. But yeah, so that's uh, got filled with stories from the Met Gala, um, which I crashed twice, uh, to the White House correspondence dinners, to Oscars. I did the, the after the Chaplin year, I did that with uh, Liza Minnelli. <laughs> And she won, turned out my badge from 72, worked in 73. So I'm positioned, and those pictures are on our website of me standing right behind Liza Minnelli and Joel Gray, who won Best Supporting Actor, and she won Best Actress that night. And we're all singing together and looking like a happy family. I'm 23 years old in that, so. That is so great. That's wonderful. Hey, you know, um, you're also a political consultant, so they – they always say that Washington is like Hollywood for nerds. As somebody who now has had like a taste of both Hollywood and Washington, is that an apt description? Uh, no, okay. it's not at all. Um, because, you know, and it's interesting because I switched from, I did, I moved out here from Chicago to be an actor was kind of my excuse to hide my gay secret. Um, and I thought I could do right, it better because there's no gays in show away. business. <laughs> yeah. No, right? Yeah, but I at least I wouldn't run into people. Yeah, um, no, I get high it. school or friends. So I figured you know start a new life here, which I did. And so I went in entertainment, and I left because I didn't like the people. You know, they're phony. Oh, and interesting. Unless you're, <laughs> unless you're, you know, important, they they don't even acknowledge you. And so, so I went into politics, which is very similar, <laughs> and it's they're competitive. You know, which is more powerful. Um, let your listeners determine that. But um, I, you know, in politics these days with uh, the era of television and certainly the internet, you got to look good. And so if you look at the candidates, when I ran in 2012, um, you know, people are pretty nice looking and, and they're all a lot taller than I was too. So it's, uh, it's not quite what uh, that, that term describes, I don't think at all. Okay. You know, you um, so we did obviously a lot of research about, and we'll get into your <laughs> presidential campaign in a second. But and this is a term that Rick actually laid on me this morning: log cabin Republican. Okay, you are, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you are a log cabin Republican. Is that I am work? not. You are not. Uh, oh. Never, never have been. Um, I it started actually, and I live in Laguna Beach. It started. Um, in Laguna Beach, but I've kind of always done my own thing. And I did in the um, 1978, there was a, a Nita Bryant had pushed a big initiative to ban gays and lesbians mm -hmm. from being school teachers in all California schools. And so I worked on that to get Republican opposition to it. We ended up getting Ronald Reagan's opposition to it, which was important, but I've done my own thing independently. Log Cabin, they're a little more focused on international policy. Um, they uh, they're just wonks. They're not uh, people that I really enjoyed. And I'm far more progressive than they are. Mm -hmm. uh, OK. And so I've always distanced myself when I did run. They um, did very, very little for me. It took a former 
log cabin member to kind of force their hand in order to even let me address their national convention. So I've done my own thing. There's another organization I was involved with, which is a public and unity organization. And we've kind of gone around log cabin, although, you know, I mean, they, they do some good stuff. And, and right now the Senate is taking up uh, making gay marriage, same sex marriage, the law of the land in the yeah, state, in the right. country, which is a miracle, but it takes 10 Republicans to do that. So a lot of the LGBTQ leadership focuses 100% on Democrats, which is great. They're a lot more supportive, but sometimes you need 10 Republican senators. Mm -hmm. So you better have some connections. And that's where log cabin Republicans come in. Do you know how the term started with the log cabin Republican? How that term originated? <laughs> Do you have any idea? Not a clue. <laughs> yeah, not. Well, this is the only reason we have you on right here. So, <laughs> so we're I will this. not say the word. <laughs> well, <laughs> even under torture. Yeah, well, so, listen, yeah. we had you... Uh, we we mentioned that you're the, uh, the the first openly gay presidential candidate, and you ran in 2012, and you were in the Iowa caucus, and you actually, technically, did, you did, beat Donald Trump, right? Yeah. In 2012, you beat him because he a straw poll at uh, yeah. St. Anselm College in in Manchester, New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah. and you beat and, Rudy Giuliani, yeah, yeah and you, Mitt Romney. Yeah, ended up to capture the nomination but i i won that first straw poll in new hampshire which was of course a huge upset we spent a week campaigning in this college i brought in my full team and you know it's a it's a, a jesuit college too so it's a very conservative school but they voted for the gay guy in the straw poll which gave me a lot of credibility got the washington post to send a journalist up dan zach to cover my campaign follow me around for three days and and led to a lot of good things. But yeah, I beat Trump when he was just, you know, yeah. mere speculation. Uh, that was eight years before, or it's four years before he actually ran. Yeah, you should yeah. beat him then, too. <laughs> yeah, but I did. Wish you, wish you would have run again. <laughs> wish, uh, right. So you, you did help pave the way for, you know, Pete Buttigieg uh, and future gay candidates. Now, Dave and I were 59 and maybe not in the greatest shape in the world. <laughs> Do you think we are going to ever live to see a gay president in our lifetime? You absolutely will if you if you can make it another uh, six years because you know Pete Buttigieg, who I met early on, um, right when he I was on his book tour in New York and blown away by this guy. Yeah, He's he is so smart. And this audience of 350 people in the Brooklyn Public Library in the middle of February on a miserable New York night were just awestruck by him. I, and I endorsed him that night. I sent him money that night. And so I ran as a Republican to shake things up in my party, make people a little uncomfortable and prove a point. And then I endorsed the Democrat that night. And it uh, it got me um, very close to him. I was on his national finance committee. And that guy is just what this country needs. And I fully believe it then and believed it then and now and i campaigned for him i was on his national finance committee i was probably his number one surrogate with the media because it's an interesting story this republican older republican you know baby boomer supporting generation x or whatever he was um is for president and now of course you know it's a little awkward but he's ahead of biden i know in, the, in a new hampshire poll and that's embarrassing <laughs> but yeah. that's what you know this guy has and he brings the table and the more people get to know him as he takes this trillion dollars around and spreads it around for the infrastructure and everything around the country as transportation secretary they're going to really get to know him and appreciate him and i think 
you know, he will be the next president. He is, uh, he's so impressive in, in various different settings. Like I've even seen him on Fox news where he's interviewed and, and he can deflect and handle, you know, (laughs) just about anything. Don't you think? The guy's amazing. He's just, and he's so smart, you know, not only a Rhodes scholar, but he went to Oxford for two years for his master's and he finished number one in his class. They post the, the the standings at the end of the two years or something so you know this is a smart guy what was really exciting too was meeting a lot of the people in his campaign his finance chair and all these young people i say young in their you know late 30s uh then friends from harvard yeah friends from harvard friends from oxford you know the kind of a caliber out of the box brilliant thinkers a lot of silicon valley people um that we really need you know we're in in dire straits in this country and i'm the ultimate optimist but we've got to get very aggressive and we got to come up with some new and brilliant ideas and new and brilliant leaders and and you know as i say he is going to be our next president and i'm i couldn't be more excited hey (laughs) count us in yeah Uh, you know and but pretty much the only reason rick and i aren't president um is that campaigning looks way too hard and too strenuous how i mean as someone who's done this and how long did your presidential campaign go for how many uh how long from the new hampshire to the time that you bowed out so my first trip to new hampshire was in 2010 february and i i hung up my spurs on june of 2022 I'm sorry, 2012, yep, after same, I lost to Romney. Same mistake I just made. Yeah, I don't want to jump more current. But yeah. uh, I lost to Romney in the Utah primary, which then it was mano e mano because it was the, we were the last two still campaigning in what now is his home state. But I'm proud of what I did. Oh, uh, yeah. I ended up on six state ballots. I ended up finishing a, a ninth out of 11 yeah. major candidates. And I ended up beating two former governors, Gary Johnson, who became a good friend of big, you know, pot marijuana legalization guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and also um, governor John, former governor, John Huntsman of Utah. So I ended up beating, you know, for a first time candidate, I never ran for office in my life, but I learned from my grandmother, you know, start at the top and it had never been done before. There'd never been an openly LGBTQ candidate who ran for president. So I, I threw my hat in the ring. I worked two and a half years full time. I spent a lot of my own money because I hate raising money and didn't do well there. But I, I was able to have a very functioning campaign that got a huge amount of attention, international attention, too. So, you know, they're reading about this openly gay candidate who's running for president of the United States um, sends a message to people all over the world, particularly younger people, younger LGBTQ you know, people who are struggling. Um, to give them hope. And and that was my line. I just wanted to show people, you know, there are no limits like I thought when I grew up or why I had to move to California to keep my secret for 20 Mm -hmm. years from my family, um, that there are no boundaries anymore. You can do anything. You can even run for president of the United States. And I I really got a lot, a lot of attention from um, people by, you know, emails and people coming up to me and, and saying how important it was to them and how much my campaign meant and the message was heard, and I spoke to these tons of these LGBTQ organizations in the high schools. So I even went out to my alma mater, New Trier, mm-hmm. and spoke there to a pretty packed house of kids um, with Rahm Emanuel's picture hanging on the wall right outside. Another 
alumni, yeah. but it was, um, that, that's what really motivated me to do it. And that's what got me up every day for the two and a half years of campaigning full time. I went to New Hampshire 26 times individual wow. trips from California. And I ended up renting a house there and staying there for the last four months of the campaign. Um, cause that's where our emphasis was. So yeah, it was, it was an interesting journey. It's one of those boxes you check <laughs> and, um, never to do again, but I had to pave the way and Pete, Buttigieg was so gracious always um, in thanking me and saying how I made it easier for him and and others. And now I think there's something like 463 LGBT uh, candidates who are open running in different offices, off for different offices all over the country. Wow, so that's great. We've yeah, evolved. Yeah. Well, you know, Rick and I we ran for homecoming king and queen at U of I at University of <laughs> Illinois back in 1985. Yeah, yeah. we didn't we didn't win. <laughs> uh, but, Is that uh, where you guys met at? Illinois, yeah, yep. University of Illinois. Yeah, that's right. It's good. You know, so, I, I have a similar story, and that's what's really appealing about your show. Other than you guys are hysterical, oh, stop it. Cap capture my humor <laughs> is that I had a high a college radio show with my good buddy Rob Weinstein. We call it the Crackers and Cheese Comedy Hour. Oh, I was great. Frank. Frank Crackers, he was Rodney Cheese. And we did this on uh, the university station. And that I thought was going to be my career path with him. And we're still great friends. He does a lot of theater in Chicago and stuff. But it was it was kind of my trajectory. And so I'm, I'm envious because uh, I think that's a fun thing to do. And I love your podcast and everything you do. But it well, could have thanks. been crackers and cheese is, is your big It's your not big too late, Fred. It's not too late. <laughs> well, we kind of want, can you come every Friday now? I mean, from now on, every Friday or two, we'd love to have you. Oh, man. Let me get, so get what, what is next for you, Fred? What, what are you up to now? Uh, you mentioned the book that you're working mm -hmm. on. So I've got, yeah, I have five projects that I've still, and this is, you guys, believe it or not, have helped me um, in preparing for this and getting a little motivated. I'm, you know, that uh, pandemic wiped me out um, yeah. and I really was depressed um, and, mm. and getting back on track and motivated and getting away from the fear and interacting with people. And, you know, it's, it, it's, um, it's tough. So the five projects I had uh, in, on my list back in 2020 and, February, you know, we're still pending. And one is this world's greatest crasher book, getting that done, working with Sam Eichner. And then I wrote a campaign book because that never had happened. And Steve Pfeiffer, and you may even know that name, who's a very accomplished writer, um, author himself, wrote columns for the Tribune. He and I went to South School together in Glencoe. Oh, wow. He was always the smartest kid in class. Um, and um, he, he wrote my first book, my memoir, Fred Who, which is available now um and and pretty impactful story and you know beautifully written 99 percent by steve pfeiffer so that's uh, uh the guy who just had rewritten or wrote the campaign book and so working on that together i've got a docu-series on the mormon church because i've been going up against the leadership there and if you remember this leah remini show on a and e a few years ago about scientology yeah, yeah. the mormon Mormon church is just like about a thousand times more interesting and much more mainstream, but very similar in a lot of ways. But um, it would just, you know, be a huge, huge rating success. I've done a, a sizzle for that. Nate Minutes sizzle. We pitch networks. That's going. Is and it a I've musical? Yeah. <laughs> like Book of Mormon, you know, that's what a, a good idea. Yeah, I, that might, that might. Or, and you know who could star in it? Anne Margaret. <laughs> right. Come full circle. 
run into her again. Yeah, so they're, they're looking into their tax status because they're still, you know, the Utah has the sixth highest state of LGBTQ youth suicide oh, uh, wow. because of the the edicts from the leadership of the church that's being gays an abomination. And then um, the final thing is the Smithsonian, believe it or not, is voted least likely to succeed in, in high school, wants all my papers records, photos, everything from wow. my baby book all the way through my activism and certainly my campaign. And I've uh, given half of that to the Museum of uh, American History in D.C., and I'm gathering the other half. So, yeah, so some pretty crazy projects for a retiree when I'm supposed to be. You know, the you know, Smithsonian hasn't called us. <laughs> uh, they, they haven't asked us <laughs> for anything. We're not his age yet. Give <laughs> okay, him, give him time. We're, okay. Oh, you can catch up to do. I'll put in a good word. Uh, that'd, that'd be great. Thank I'd you. I'd appreciate it. Fred, this has really been a joy. Thank you we'd very much. We'd love to much. have you on. When, when the stuff starts coming through, we'd love yeah. to have you on all the time. Please, yeah, whenever, please let us know. If your book comes out, uh, you know, be, get back in touch with us, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have you on again. You're on. All right, Fred. I'm on. All right. Yeah. Thank you guys very much. It's been fun. Have a good one. Hey, thanks, Fred. And, All right. and good, good luck with everything. Bye bye. Thanks. He, bye. Great guy. Yeah. Very. Well, he, he'd be a great guy just to hang out. Yeah. You know, you know and, uh, he was talking to us about our accent, our Chicago yeah, accent right, right. So off the air. Or was that during the show? Was it? Did he mention it while we were talking? I, don't I, don't I forget. Yeah. It's all a big blur. Um, but uh, it is kind of fun talking to people that are not in Chicago anymore, right. but grew up here and then move away and then hear the Chicago accent in us. Yeah. Because I don't feel like we have no, one, of but of course we do. Well, and what I also love is when we talk to ex-Chicagoans. Yeah. They always have such a soft spot for Chicago, but They too, do. You know, and... It's oh. one town that won't let you down. Uh, well, special thanks to our executive producer, Tony Lasano with opishows.com. Opi is hippo backwards. O-P-P-I-H-O's.com. We're distributed by Ed Silla with Radio Misfits. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. And we'll be back again next week with a brand new episode of... Venusha Man Celebrity Interview. The proceeding was a presentation of Opie Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Old Pie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? I'm Rick. I'm Dave. And we're the hosts of the Minutia Men podcast. Rick is the former executive producer of two Hall of Fame radio shows. Dave is an out-of-the-box thinker, a guerrilla marketer, and former advertising agency. We've been friends for 40 years. I was the best man at Dave's wedding. Yeah, you were an okay man at best. Was that really necessary? Minutia Men and Old Pie Show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. <laughs>